You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Yeah, that, that that's what it came down to. Where I felt like if someone didn't want to be so overwhelmed, they'd be able to pick up this book and say, "Oh, if you concentrate on these thirteen flies, like, you're going to catch fish on them." Like I promise you, I don't care where you are, Wyoming, Montana, Iceland, uh, that you're going to catch fish on them. Like period. So don't. Don't just scroll on Instagram and say, oh, that purple one looks really pretty. Let me try tying that one. Like, just try to reduce all that because, man. But, but, but then also, Mark, I know you're the same as me, I bet. When we go into those fly shops, it's like you're a kid in a candy store. Like, I want to buy every new material. And if I buy a new material, I don't buy, like, one pack of dubbing. I want every color of that new. I need it all. Like, <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to need it. Like, when am I going to? One day I might need that copper red color of the fine diamond dubbing like I, yeah. why didn't i buy proper red like so i get it like i understand like there's also that desire to just kind of try to try to pull everything in and see how it's going to work for you but man it, it's such a steep learning curve and fly time so i really hope people have a way to kind of turn a few things off and just concentrate on two or three things at a time Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us today, wherever you may be listening. And we're going to do what we always do on the show. And that's basically find someone that is extremely passionate about fly fishing, putting feather on a hook, uh, and, and basically spending time on the water. We're going to hook you up today. We've got Tim Camisa on the line from Trout and Feather. Uh, Tim is an author, vlogger, speaker. He's got all kinds of YouTube videos. Check him out. That's Tim Camisa. And he's just got written a new book called um, Fly Tying for Everyone. You talk about inclusion. We're all about that on the show. Tim, thanks for doing this today. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Mark. And first of all, I want to say thank you for everything that you do. I know you have over a couple hundred podcasts out. I, I hope your listeners understand what goes into it. So just the fact that you're giving us all this information on a, on a pretty regular basis as well, we really appreciate it. Though I am going to give you a slight, slight complaint here, Mark. Whenever I listen to your show, your intro music is awesome. And as a guest, I don't get to hear that music. So man, <laughs> I, I kind of missed out on this one. I wrote that on my guitar. I just, I just plugged it in and just made it up one day, actually. But wow, Very cool. Anyhow, yeah, so... um. Yeah, I, I've been wanting to chat with you ever since we kind of had some some chats on Clubhouse um, a few months back, and I know there's so much ground we can cover. I want to get into, you know, what you're up to, your latest book, um, your YouTube channel. We'll talk all things fish. But first, I, I always like to get a feel for how you kind of came to discover fly fishing and walk us through through your journey, if you will. How, how did things start for you when it comes to the world of fly fishing, Tim? 
Yeah, you got it. Well, that's a great question because unlike many others in, in the realm of fly fishing, for me, fly tying actually came first, which kind of makes sense. Now, that, that, that's kind of what I'm known in the industry. I, um, I, I was in the fourth grade. My parents signed me up for this after-school class to tie flies. I knew zero about it. I wasn't a fly fisher. My father took me fishing, you know, with spinning rods, very traditional in western Pennsylvania. And I, and I enjoyed it. I, I didn't love waking up early. But they signed me up for this class. I, I go there. There's a bunch of, I don't want to use the word older, but very experienced gentlemen in this class. They reeked of like cigar smoke, pipe smoke. There were all these crazy scents, all these adhesives. <laughs> and they taught us how to spin deer hair around hooks and cut it off with a razor blade. I thought it was just the coolest thing in the world to see all this deer hair go flying. And everything was just, it was so fascinating. And at the time, I wasn't, I'm not even 100% sure that I understood that you fished with these things. All I knew is that it was this, this class. It almost felt like you're making these crafts. It was super cool. And then one day, like my great uncle John shows up and I'm like, what is he doing here? And it turned out that in my area, he was, he was kind of known in, in the world of fly fishing. Huh. He worked for the Pennsylvania Fish Commission kind of on the side. And, and he was extremely passionate about fly tying fly fishing he later went on to teach me how to build bamboo fly rods but you know, long story short mark he was that first mentor once you know he kind of saw that i was in the class you know we obviously gravitated towards each other it's my great uncle and he mm. took me under his wing and, and really just showed me the way for fly tying and then came fly fishing and then you know we can go on and on forever well that's a little unusual because it's rare i talk to somebody that started tying before they were actually fly fishing i don't know that i actually have interviewed anybody that's done that hmm. no no i don't want to say it's a rare thing out there that's you know i, I actually as of right now i'm a sixth grade teacher and in, in you know public education and i love it and my my principal asked me to do a, a fly fishing course and it's it's funny because i actually teach fly tying first we do that in the winter time and then in the spring, we take all of their creations and we go and fish with them. So it's like I'm kind of recreating what I went through with my students today, which is kind of cool. Is it easier to teach kids or adults? Um, neither. I won't lie. It's tough no matter what you're teaching. I mean, in the world of fly tying, it really comes down to kind of perseverance. I mean, you know, it's just like anything. There's such a steep learning curve. And you just have to stick with it. You have to say it's going to be tough. I'm going to make mistakes and I have to move on from that. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, a 10 year old or, you know, a 50 year old, yeah. you just have to have that mentality. And if you have someone that has that mentality, they're going to make it, they're going to, you know, stick it out and they're, they're going to tie some flies and they're going to catch fish on their flies. And unfortunately, sometimes you have some students who are just like, this isn't for me. And I, I don't like this. And if it doesn't come out perfect on my first try, I don't want to continue. And that's, mm. that's just a, it's a mentality in general. So I, I don't want to box people in and say, yeah. Children are easier because, you know, I, I know I, I used to guide um, on the, the Delaware River and mm -hmm. a lot of people would tell me it's so much easier to guide a female versus a male because, you know, maybe they listen more and, and all this stuff. And, and I kind of disagree with that. I, and it's the same with fly tying. It's, it's really comes down to that mentality at the end of the day. Well, it's funny the way you verbalize that. I think, I think when I started tying probably 40 plus years ago, I was never happy. I'm still not happy when I put a, a and I know it's pretty good. I mean, it's good enough to catch fish. Yeah. It's going to fool the odd yeah. trout, but it's like, is it like that store-bought quality? You know, is it, is it perfect? I don't know. I don't know if there is such a thing. Although some of the things I'm seeing on, on YouTube these days are kind of boggling the mind. 
Oh, I, listen, I'm not going to. What you said is just, you really just kind of hit that nail on the head because I'm with you too. There are so many patterns that come off of my advice that I'm like, ah, I think it could be better. And at the end of the day, I'm not saying it could or it couldn't, but it, and it's not even that it's good enough to catch fish. Like it, it's a good tie. And I'm a hundred percent sure yours are excellent ties. There is no doubt about it. And you don't want to compare yours with other people. That, that's not fair either. So it, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't want to, you know, reason it to the game of golf or compare it that way, but you are kind of in a sense competing against yourself. And then you put hmm. on Instagram and, and man, these <laughs> creations that you see are phenomenal. Now, now I will tell you a little trick though. I will tell you this. Okay. I'm also a photographer. I'm into macro photography. I love it. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. It's the whole thing is just awesome. But huh. whenever I take a picture of my fly or other people's flies, it looks, I can make it look incredible. And that's not with like editing. I want to make that clear. Like hmm. I am not into, you know, manipulating or anything like that. I mean, every fly in my book, I was really impressed that I was able to start it from step one and tie it to the end of every series of pictures. It's that fly. There's no Photoshopping or anything like that. But, and it's the same with what I do on Instagram, but you can still manipulate light and just the way that you can get the fly to turn and, and just really make something look spectacular. And man, there are so many people out there today that are doing that. And they're exceptional tires too, not just photographers. Mm. Yeah, true enough. Well, if you had to look back then on your journey thus far, who would you say has influenced you? And, you know, this could be, because I know you're on the, on the, the circuit, if you will, like the fly fishing tour, you're out seeing like Phil Rowley and a lot of these guys and guides who has kind of shaped your fishing, if that makes sense. Oh gosh. Um, man, that's a tough question. I'm very lucky. I feel like I've had maybe five or six just incredible mentors along my path. Like there's no doubt about it. And I'll just shout them out and then I'll get to one. And I'll answer your question. I mean, my father's been just an incredible influence. Mm. You know, he's just an, an adamant outdoorsman. Um, my, my great uncle, John, he was so passionate and just brought me along so far. There was a gentleman, his name's John Dunn. He was extremely technical. He's that person that really, if it, if it wasn't the right shade of yellow, you weren't fishing the PMD hatch correctly. Um, then kind of moving forward, I've really jumped into the, the world of Euro-nymphing. And I'm not a competitive fly fisher, but I can really appreciate all the techniques and the styles they brought into, you know, into this, the mix for all of us. But if there was that one person that I would say, he's, he's really been that person that's kind of helped move me to whatever my next level is. It's got to be Chuck Fremsky. He's the individual mm-hmm. that started the fly fishing show. He still runs the international fly tying symposium. A lot of people kind of know of him or, or they see him at the shows and he's a personality. There's no doubt about it. I mean, for anyone who's met him, He's, he's, he's tough to forget. I mean, he's a clown. There's no doubt about it. But our relationship started where he invited me to be a part of the fly time symposium. And I, I had to decline. It was like, you know, it was when I was just kind of up and coming in the world of, of fly fishing and I get this opportunity, but you know, I was just getting married. I just had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life and YouTube was going well, but you know, it's, it's a time crunch and I just had to decline. I felt so bad. And I thought, man, I can't believe I'm saying no to this guy. It's, he's never going to invite me again, but sure enough, the next year he said, Hey, I'd like to have you back as a future presenter. Don't turn me down a second time. And I was like, absolutely not. And then I found out that, you know, there was a connection where we both kind of fish in a similar part of Pennsylvania. So we connected, we, we fished together. Then we went over to New Jersey, we fished over there and we've just continued to fish together. And I, I probably talked to him, I don't know, three times a week. And 
he's given me so much advice, not just in the industry, but in fly tying. Like whenever we talk, it's, he's not giving me like advice on what I should be wearing whenever I'm giving a presentation. I mean, we're talking flies, we're talking fishing techniques. <laughs> he's at Seven Springs today, sending me emails while I'm at work, telling me how many fish he caught, you know, how he caught this largemouth bass in this tough corner of the lake. I mean, he is a he's a complete fisher. I'm not going to tell you his age. He'd probably get ticked off at me, but. Mark, he's that guy that you're like, man, I hope when I'm that age, I'm still fishing this often. I mean, he just got back from the Outer Banks, then he drove to Pennsylvania to fish from, from New Jersey, and he's wow. turning around and going back. I mean, he's just, he doesn't stop. And yeah. to, to be, a, you know, to, to have an influence like that in my life has just been incredible, which is why I asked him to write the forward for my book. Awesome. Well, we're going to talk all about your book, Fly Time for Everyone. First, I want to get to know some of your tendencies and your day-to-day. You ready for a few kind of different questions that are maybe not necessarily about fishing? Oh, I love this part. Of course, Mark. Let's talk tunes. So if you're headed in your truck to your favorite stretch of river or still water, wherever you happen to be going, what's playing in the stereo? Oh, man, I love this question. Um, well, it depends if my son is going with me because my, my entire family fly fishes. I have my wife, Heather... My daughter, Fina, she'll be on my back. She's only about a year and a half right now. My son's five. So it depends if we're there because if he's there, he always wants Ice Ice Baby. So <laughs> and sometimes he does control the radio as a five-year-old. But if it's me, gosh, let me think about this. So I was born in the late 70s. I kind of grew up and I had a lot of influence in the 90s. So we're talking like hmm. some alternative music. So there's going to be some like 90s alternative in there. And there's also going to be a little hip hop. I, I still I like a little bit of hip hop. It's just okay. part of the, the, the 90s for me. But right now, if you turn on my Pandora, you're going to get the Bob Dylan station. And I've been like clicking back and forth between Bob Dylan and Rolling Stone songs. It's like Dylan or the Stones. And then like Justin Bieber comes on randomly. I have no idea why. <laughs> and I listen to it. And I, I'm like, all right, let's go, Biebs. I'm into that. And then it goes right back to the Stones and going. So those are kind of my top two right now. I like the fact you're keeping that diversity going because I'm like that on playlists. <laughs> Sometimes my playlists make no sense. But if you find something in that song you like, who cares, right? It doesn't have to make sense. I'm with you. All right. So give me your playlist. Come on. I'm, oh, I'm man. I'm I'm all over. Now, see, I'm a little older than you. I'm late 60s, okay? So 69. Yeah. So I kind of was weaned on hair metal. You know, we're talking like... Uh, oh, like yes, I was yes. I was all about Warrant and Bon Jovi and Dawkins and Cinderella and Motley Crue. And, and, but I also... And I'm, a, and I'm a huge country guy, too. So I, I'm very conflicted. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's yeah, lots I'm of right similarities in, in, in especially new country. When you look at like the Jason Aldeans and you look at like the Brantley Gilberts, tell me they're not influenced by rock. I mean, that's all about, for me, that's like modern day hair metal is what it's like. Oh, but, I'm with you. Oh man. I, I love modern day country too, but I love like the Garth Brooks from the nineties. And then like oh, Garth yeah. came back and yeah, so, yeah, we could talk music all day. Yeah, no, I, uh, and I worked in radio. I worked in country radio for quite a few years. So, um, yeah, believe me, that's where I actually where I met my wife. She worked at the rock station. I worked at the country station. So <laughs> anyway, uh, there's no that's shortage cool. of, and she does not like country music. So I, uh, she gives me the gears pretty good on that. Yeah, I got gotcha. Anyhow, um, <laughs> I'm getting off topic. Not that we ever really had one here. Go to fly pattern. If so, if you're reaching in your box more often than not, what is one pattern that you just can't go without? 
Ooh, I love this question. Um, if we're talking one just go-to pattern, I'm, I probably fish nymphs more than any other patterns combined. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I love dry fly fishing. I love throwing articulated streamers. I just love when there's a hatch going on and I can throw a mergers. I mean, I love all of those more, but there's something about throwing Euro nymphs right now that it's just addicting. They catch fish. Um, there's probably three or four that are in my box. It's like these three or four, are the flies that, that all work, they always work for me. But the one that's been killing it for the last like year again is a paradigon. Mm. And it, it's a fly that, that came out a few years ago. And for your listeners who don't know much about a paradigon, um, it, it, it's kind of a competitive pattern. It's, it's very slender. It's, um, it, it's originated out of France. And it's a tiny little fly. We're talking from a size 14 down to a size 22. They're tied typically on jig hooks with a slotted tungsten bead. And that, that slotted tungsten bead on that jig hook tends to let this hook ride inverted in the water. So it will ride hook point up. I'm not going to snag as much. And the body is like just, it's nothing. We're talking like a Coke de Leon, a really fine hackled tail. Uh, a, a body of, and the color for me has been this teal turquoise body hmm. of, of like a flash. So it's like, this, imagine this teal flashy body. And then there's like a hot spot that's just made of thread right behind the bead. And then you have a little bit of black for the wing case and you coat it all with a, a material that's kind of called a UV resin. So it's all sealed in. It's just this tight little bulletproof little fly. I mean, hmm. it just drops to the bottom in a hurry and fish just can't say no to it. And I love the fish in a little bit faster water. I mean, I fish it in riffles, the heads of pools. Um, I'll fish it in pocket water. I mean, we were fishing on, on Spring Creek in central Pennsylvania this weekend. And my son, my son and I were looking at rocks on the side of the shore and there were a bunch of case caddis and he wanted to pull one apart. So we pulled it apart, this poor case caddis, and we're looking at it and took a picture of it. My wife looked at it. She's like, that looks like this green paradigm. And sure enough, she puts that fly on. She's, she's moving into position like second cast. She catches the nicest brown trout we caught that day. I'm like, ah, oh, that's so cool. So the paradigm, yeah, that's, that's what I've been fishing, Mark. You know, and that's something that I always think of, like, whether it's a mayfly nymph or uh, whatever type of nymph or small chironomid even, but I never really thought about a case caddis, like, say, that the worm, the caddis worm outside of its its natural surroundings that it's made. Yeah, that would, I could see why that would work for sure. Yeah, it would just look like a little caddis larva. No doubt about it, which which then kind of brings, I'm sure one of your listeners is out there saying, wait a second. Mark, Tim, it's caddis larva. They don't have a tail. Your paragons have got a tail, which in, in the world of entomology, you're 100% correct. But it gets back to, and, and maybe this is the point of fly tying or, or fly fishing, like sometimes fish get in the zone and they're looking for something and they're honing in on something. And they're going to just disregard the fact that this thing's got a giant hook sticking out of its butt or it's got a tail. <laughs> it's got this giant shiny bead, like, yeah. or it's got this, this hot orange that you're not going to find any natural yet. There was something that, that said to that brown trout, my wife caught like, let's give this one a, let's give it a try. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what this one's like. And thank goodness it did. That's, um, that's well verbalized because I, I get that as well. That doesn't have a natural tail. That that doesn't look right. But you're right. Hey, if there's a hook on it and there's this round eye that the line's going through, that probably doesn't look natural either. But yeah, it's. Are you a su- no, no. suggestive versus realistic pattern guy? Do you have any um, preference in that regard? Uh, yeah. 
I guess it depends on the situation. I, that's, I guess that's my answer. I'm, I'm very situation based. Mm-hmm. If I get to the water and we have a hatch going on, or if I know something recently hatched, I'm going to kind of go down that pathway. And I'll give you a, for instance, uh, a very popular pattern over the last few years is called a Frenchie. It's basically a pheasant tail with a hot spot for the thorax. Uh, the most popular colors traditionally been like a fluorescent orange. People use fluorescent green, fluorescent purple, pink. I mean, just, you know, it's a pheasant tail. It's just a, a hot spot. That's what it comes down to. Whenever I showed up on water two or three years ago, it was right after a light cahill hatch. And the fish just seemed to eat anything that was more of a pale yellow. So I tied a bunch of Frenchies with pale yellow. So it wasn't that, that hot spot that, you know, people are used to tying or, or fly fishing with when they think of a Frenchie, but that pale yellow just it created contrast with the pattern, and it was a color the fish were used to eating. Mm. It didn't look necessarily like what they should have been eating at the bottom of the water column, but so if that kind of answers your question. That that's why I melded the two. Right. But in the summertime, if there's not much out there, you know, it's it's just suggestive. It's just whatever is going to look kind of the part, like that paradigm looked last weekend. But then there's other times where, you know, if I'm fishing a sulfur hatch or a granum hatch and these fish get keyed in and they've been feeding on this pattern for two weeks, then they've had, they've, they've had a lot of opportunities to really get picky. And it gets down to, you got to be throwing them the right pattern at the right stage. You got to be staying at the right spot so you get the right drift. And, and I want every, I want to control as much as I can control. So I, I really want those patterns, especially emerger patterns to look just as spot on as possible. Where do you go to get your fix on fly fishing when you're not fishing? Like, is it, is it the, you know, the, the fly show tour? Is it, is it a local fly shop? Is there a watering hole near you? You go, this is where I get my fix. But where, where do you get your fix? You know, all things fins when you're not in your waders. Man, I I guess the, the first answer is I try to spend as much time in them as possible. So that's number one. Number two, I do love social media. Like there's no doubt about it. I, I enjoy it. I mean, you can find me on uh, everything I, from TikTok to Twitter to LinkedIn to Instagram and Facebook, all of them. I mean, I, I, I am a social media junkie. There's no doubt about it. And as much as I enjoy posting and reading, I guess I get my fix from interacting with others, Mark. I mean, in, on Instagram, you have the ability to send these things called DMs, which is a direct message. And somebody today was asking me about something at work. And I said, oh, let me show you this DM about that. And I pulled it up and I, I, you know, I had to swipe like four or five pages to find it. And my buddy was like, was this from yesterday? I'm like, yeah, why? And he's like, you just swiped through like 75 DMs. I'm like, yeah, that was like <laughs> yesterday and today. And, and I don't think that a lot of people who aren't, you know, in this realm of fly fishing understand how much of a community we really have. And, yeah. and for, for those of us that enjoy helping others, you, you know, like you mentioned, I make YouTube videos. I'm on the fly fishing show circuit. I wrote a book. Like I have all these, these, these things, but in every one of these realms, there's a, there's an audience and that audience has questions. And, and mm-hmm. when you put yourself out there as, you know, as a resource, not just as an entertainer, but as, you know, a, you know, a resource that entertains, you're going to get a ton of questions. You're going to have a lot of dialogue and, and that's the part of it that I enjoy is like when somebody has a problem, I say, Hey, here's something that you can do. If you tried this and I, I don't know, I, and the, the, I guess the crazy part of all this Mark is I probably where I get my fixes. I don't like to just tell the answer. I like to ask another question to get them to think, Oh, maybe I should go down this path and see if this works. Hmm. And that tends to, to help people. So 
that, yeah. that kind of gives me my fix away from the water. I know what you're saying though, about like the DMs. I actually really enjoy that about, especially that about the fly fishing community is like everyone's basically reachable and most people will get back yeah. to you. It would, it would shock a lot of people if you just happen to follow somebody on Instagram and you actually have a question, you just shoot them a message, say, Hey, or how about next time on the show, you talk about this. Like I get that quite often and I actually really enjoy that. It's a, it's, it's a nice yeah. interaction, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, this is one of those few sports where you can reach out to I mean, I, I don't know about you, Mark. It sounds like you've been in this as, as long as me. I mean, I got into it when I was 10 years old. So for me, like, I can remember the people that I looked up to when I was 10 years old. And, and like, I, I know who they were. And now that I can say, like, oh, I, you know, had a beer with Tim Flagler. I went fishing with him. Or, you know, And it's like, these are the people that I looked up. These are like my, I don't know, whatever baseball mm-hmm. player you're into, whatever football player. It's like, this is the Joe Montana or Tom Brady or whatever. Like yeah. this is them and they're reachable. Like you send them a message and it might take them a day or two, but the majority of them are going to get back to you. And yeah. and most of them even have thoughtful responses as much as a, a canned response. So exactly. yeah, it's, it's definitely wild to, to know we have this, this way to interact with these people that we look up to and, and can help us get better. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if you're a sports guy or not. I got a feeling you are, but let's talk sports. So if, if pro college or otherwise, are you a football guy? Um, are you hockey, baseball? If, if you're cheering for your team, who, who is it? Uh, good question. I, I love sports growing up. If I had a choice to watch or play, I would prefer to play. I'm very competitive by nature. I think you might be too. I, I can't stand to lose at whatever I do. If I had a choice on a Sunday or on a Saturday to, to play pick up game of basketball versus to watch something on TV, I'm going to play 99.9% of the time. However, when we do sit down to watch, um, I'm from Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. We got the Penguins, we got the Steelers, we got the Pirates. And out of those mm. three, I'm going to go with the Steelers. That's just the team that there's something about NFL football that's just easy to watch, easy to digest. The team's not looking so great this year. I mean, for those of you listening, yeah. Mark and I are doing this October of 2021. Steelers are kind of on a downslide right now. Our big Ben quarterback's not looking so great. We got a win this week at Denver, so that was that was the one positive. But, yeah, let's not talk um, about yeah, that. There's something, yeah, there's, I don't know. I'm in, the, I'm in the NFL. That's just my current thing. But I don't do fantasy racing like that, Mark. I don't. Are you into that? That well, realm? I, I've I, done, I was, not anymore. I've done some fantasy. I just find sometimes... Uh, I stop cheering for the teams and I start cheering for individuals and then I'm all over the place and I can't watch any one game. I I actually find it helps me when I don't do any pools and I don't do anything. I may bet on a game here and there, but I love watching the game and not being, you know, especially if it's your team, like if it, like you're a big Steelers guy, if the Steelers happen to be playing and it's on Monday night football, then Guess what? You know, sure as heck, I'm going to be watching it. But I, I feel what you're yeah. saying. I'm, I'm a big. The reason they said that, I'm a big Broncos fan. So when when you said the Steelers okay. beat the Broncos, I'm like, eh, let's not talk. Oh. About it. But uh, yeah, I wondered why you said that. I'm like, I, I know you're more West Coast. I'm like, why does he not want to talk about this? No, okay, man. I I I, know. Okay. I, uh, I, uh, I grew up on Elway and and watching the Broncos when yeah. they were back in the day when they kind of came from nowhere, and then now they're um, yeah, I don't know. We've we've had court let's just say quarterback issues for a while since since Peyton retired is is this going to be Ben's last year you think it kind of seems that way it sure seems that I mean he had last season they did so well I mean it it was one of those seasons where their record 
I don't think their record truly showed the type of team they were because every week we just felt like they were going to lose every game. I watched I'm like, wow, they're going to lose this game. They look terrible. And they kept getting W's. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in the, in the world of sports and in the world of most things, when you're winning all seems right. Even if there's pieces that aren't really, they're just clunking around everything, just at least you're winning. So let's just keep on moving. And I felt that's kind of what happened last year. And man, we just, it was just like a train wreck at the end of the season and the playoffs for us last year. So I'm watching him this year, but I don't know. I, I don't know about you. And this maybe goes back to this, this mental thing. And, and there's so many, to be a, an NFL quarterback, in my mind, you've got to be so mentally strong. You have to have this confidence, unlike anything else. I, I just believe that they have to. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I still see Big Ben as that person who's looking around the league, who's seeing Tom Brady, you know, still just throwing dimes to these receivers, yeah. saying, well, if he can do it, I can still do it. I don't, I don't think this is it. I think mm-hmm. he's going to... I think he's going to give it another year. I really do, unless he has some crazy injury. But that these NFL quarterbacks today, man, like the way they have their their regiments for their health and everything, and I think with this their mental being, I think Big Ben's going to say, I'm going to keep swinging them for one more and see what yeah. happens. Well, I can tell you this. As an AFC guy, I never bet against the Steelers because they always <laughs> seem to somehow come back and beat us. But uh, anyhow. listen, I would say the same, except uh, this is the last thing. And then you can, you can edit this part out, but I still remember the game that Tim Tebow beat us oh, and was, just uh, made us look bad. And it was I, like, I always liked Tim Tebow up until that game. And that was the point where I, I really disliked Tim Tebow because, man, did he annihilate us. That was quite a game. It really was. I, I actually go back and watch that every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I'm feeling particularly bad. All right, let's not talk about that. Let's <laughs> okay. not talk about that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, what's the best job you've ever had? Are you doing it now? Yeah, I'm doing it now, no doubt. I'm a teacher. Um, I teach sixth grade. I've taught fourth grade, fifth grade. Now I'm teaching sixth grade. I, I work for a wonderful school district in western Pennsylvania. Uh, great colleagues, great administration. Uh, I'm part of the union. I mean, it, it, there's just, there's so many great things about it. Students are wonderful. It's a little crazy post COVID or I shouldn't say post, but mm-hmm. in a, in a COVID educational environment, it's, it's definitely strange because students have really changed over the last year and a half or so. But at the end of the day, you know, when, when these lessons are rolling and, and you know, you're in there with, with kids, it's just awesome. There's no doubt about it. So it, it's the job I always wanted. I'm in the job right now. I'd love to retire early and do more fly fishing stuff, which I, I plan to do. But, mm-hmm. you know, for the time being, man, it's, it's a great gig. You may have to go back quite a few years for this, but what's the worst gig you ever had? Wow. Let me think about that. The worst gig. Man, Mark, I'm not sure if there was anything that I regretted doing. I, I can, I, man, I'm, I'm just trying to think what you're, comes right, right you're now. You're a glass when I was, half full kind of guy, though. I, mean, I am. Yeah, there's no doubt. I am. I'll tell you, there were moments in my life where I didn't appreciate what I was doing at the time, and I didn't realize how it would help me later in my life. My grandfather, uh, he would he had friends around, you know, around the area, and his friends would, would have like little side jobs they needed, like in their yard, maybe to, to dig ho- holes for, for shrubs or just random little things, raking leaves, mm-hmm. cutting the grass. And he would kind of like, set these jobs up for me and I, and I would go and he would hang out with his buddy and I would work for five or six hours doing all these odd jobs around their house and they would pay me in cash and I would just sweat just like my, my clothes would be drenched and it was just like terrible work 
And at the time I was like, this is the most miserable thing I'm doing. I don't know how my grandfather talked me into this. And I would, you know, I would do it a couple days a week here and there. But like looking back now, it's like I developed a work ethic from doing that. Like mm-hmm. it was, that's, that's what I gained from it. I think that's the trickiest thing. And maybe that's what I appreciated as being a teacher. Like I don't expect students to come to my class and they're there because they're learning math. Like to me, they're learning how to learn. And I, and that's what I really try to instill with them. Just like in fly fishing. I mean, whenever you take a day with a guide, like I hope people are just going out there saying, I want to catch this one fish to put in my, in my camera to put on Instagram. Like I, like I hope they're there saying, I'm going to learn something new that I'm going to be able to apply for the next so many times out on the water. And, and that's how I looked at that, that job with my grandfather that man, did it, it, it was bad. There's no doubt about it. It was miserable. <laughs> it wasn't worth the money, but it, it kept me going and then like it, it instilled something in me to say, I, this is what I can do. And it took me a long time to realize that, but looking back, that's the positive from it. Well, some people just are born to teach. And I think you're teach. um, you know, you're doing this, but you're teaching fly tying to a lot of people now. And I think with your, your new book, fly tying for everyone. The one thing I know about you is it's like very inclusive. And that's one thing that I was really drawn to anything you're up to. So let, let's talk about, I want to talk about trout and feather. I want to talk about your, you know, um, the fly fishing tour, that kind of stuff. But let's start with your book, fly tying for everyone. Um, Tell us how that journey began and and what it was like kind of putting putting that together, which only been out, what, a couple of months now, right? Yeah, yeah, it's only been out a couple of months. came out in July of 2021. Backstory on it is um, through some of these fly fishing shows, there's one that I had done. I met this, this individual named Jay Nichols. Jay, um, he owns his own publishing company. Uh, he was the former editor of Fly Fisherman Magazine, just great fisherman, great storyteller, just awesome person to be around so we've done a couple shows together he has his books set up we're talking books like you know we both shoot uh, sporting clay so we've hung out a few times and did a couple shows really like the guy nothing more than that in my mind and I'll, i'll be honest with your listeners i always thought i would write a book i never thought it would be on fly tying i didn't think it would be until i was like 70 years old i just felt like i would write a book when i was retired from teaching so i just always had that in the planet in the back of my head Mm-hmm. So one day, um, you know, I walk over to my computer. I have a, an instant message from from Jay, or not an instant message, one of those messages on Facebook from Messenger. And I'm like, and he asked me this question. And the question, I and I have a copy of this. I mean, I've, I've kept this message. It was like, hey, do you know anyone who could write a book on fly time? And I look at this and I'm like, what? Like what? Like this? This is wrong. And I, so I'm like, Mark, I'm staring at this. I'm like. I don't think he knows what he asked me. I'm like, this is like, this is Jay Nichols, Headwater Books. Like, is he asking me? Like, and I'm like thinking, wait, is he asking me like who I thought would be good at writing the book or is he asking me? And then I keep waiting and I don't want to reply. I wait like 24 hours. I wait for him to like retract the message. Like if you can go in and delete the message, I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, I bet he, re- he meant to write Tim Flagler, not Tim Camise. He's got the wrong Tim here. I'm like, oh, that's what's going on. And so I bet, you know, I reply, I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm able, like, I'm not sure if this is my thing. I do video. I don't do photography. And Jay is really like, just go with the flow. Like you'll figure this out type of deal. He's like, don't worry. It's macro photography. I'll walk you through it. It'll be easy. Don't, you're you're going to love this. Let's talk about this. And, and we started going back and forth and, and it was his idea. So I got, I want to preface it with that. And his idea was like, listen, I don't want a book on how to tie the parachute atoms. That book has been written. I want a book that's going to talk about the latest patterns to catch fish, that you can teach tying through these patterns. 
That's what I want you to put together. So um, it, the toughest part for me was just sitting down and selecting the, the pattern. But I, had to, I selected a baker's dozen. So we have you know, 13 core patterns that I, I teach these concepts through. It's not a traditional fly tying book where it starts with like, here's how to tie on your thread. Here's how to whip finish. It, it doesn't do any of that. It's, it's, there's an introduction. I talk about modern materials. I talk about fly tying today. Like, what mm-hmm. are you going to see in the, in the 21st century? What are you going to see in the year 2021? Like, what do you see going on? I give an overview of uh, some of the current tools that are being used. And then I just jump right into it. We have dry flies, mergers, nymphs, and streamers. So I select 13 patterns. And within each one, kind of the where I think my book really gets showcased is the photography came out really well. I mean, Jay kind of led me through it. I spent probably six months, Mark, just taking pictures of flies before right. I started the book because I, I just wanted to make sure. It was, I, I wanted it, like you said, I wanted it perfect. Just hmm. like when a fly comes off the bench. So I wanted these pictures to really be the showcase. So I spent a ton of time you know, focusing on that. Once I knew I had the photography down, I didn't want to just tie a, you know, tie a fly and just tell how to tie it. That seemed boring. So for each section of, of patterns, I talk about the overview of the fly, where did it come from, the backstory. I talk about just the tying behind it. And then I go into these four little subsections for each one where I give a tying tip. And it's, you know, it's, it's a tip that typically has some, some bullet points. I go into the featured technique that you're seeing in the tying. Uh, I talk about some materials to consider, which is basically what are some variations of that pattern. And then I think I put something that a lot of tying books leave out, and it's fishing suggestion. Like, what are you going to use this fly? How does it work? Like, why was it designed? And what instance are you going to be taking it out of your box? So I think that part kind of gets forgotten. For those of us who are into fly fishing, like, yeah, we know when to use this fly. But for people who are, are newer, and even some, you know, some intermediate fly fishers, it's it's still tricky to kind of say, when do I use this pattern over this pattern? I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a hair's ear. I should just be able to use it. Right. And, and there are instances. So, you know, p- kind of putting all that stuff together, it was a ton of fun to make. Um, there were some stressful days. There were some challenges. I mean, there was one day where I was tying up a fly and everything was great the whole way to the next to last step. And I did one thing to the fly and I took a picture and I looked at my picture and, and it was wrong. It just, it didn't look, it wasn't perfect. Right. And I, I, it should have been, and I had to delete every single picture, and I lost a half day. And I, because in my mind, I didn't want to tie a fly that wasn't perfect, and then just take out that one and tie a new one, and just take that one picture of that step. I wanted every fly to go from step one to whatever the final step was, and I wanted it to be that hook. And that's what I did. I went back and I retied that one. And you know, it was that. By the way, that fly would have caught fish, or now it's caught fish. The one that I took out, but it. it it was like a tenth of a millimeter, just not right. Yeah. That one tenth that I said, yeah. I don't want, it's out. Yeah. yeah you, so that's that's kind of mean. the backstory of the book. Yeah. Oh. And it, so the book, is, it came out back in July. Um, it's been accepted really well. Um, it's, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm, what I'm most happy at, about is that people who've read it who are, are like, Tim, like th- this part of this, this book, I love this section here. You taught me how to blend dubbings or, now I understand how to keep the body of my nymph so slender. Or here's what I learned about tying the, the you know, the hack on a dry fly. I didn't know that tip before. So mm-hmm. it's cool just to see some, and, the, and these are, some of them are actually experienced tires. And it's really cool to see like, what did this, what this person I look up to, what did they gain from that book? And, and it's also really cool to know in the year 2021, like people are still reading books, not just YouTube or Instagram <laughs> or TikTok. Like people still are willing to take the time to say, there's a lot of knowledge in this book. What can I gain from it versus 
from an unvetted video on YouTube of somebody who may not even fish, but they can sure tie a nice looking fly. How hard was it to land on those 13 patterns? Cause I think I'd struggle with that. It was tough. It, it was tough. Um, Jay had very little, there was the only thing Jay said for this book, which now will make a little bit of sense based on my fly you asked me about. He didn't really give me any suggestions. He's like, Tim, this is your book, write it. The only fly he really pushed for was the Paragon. He wanted a Paragon in the book. He's like, there's not a Paragon anywhere right now in any book. I want yours to have it. Hmm. I think that's an important fly that, that is going to go down. You know, it's going to be known for many years. And I think he's right too. Um, so the other flies, it was tricky. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I kind of said to myself, what are the concepts? And then I looked for patterns that, that, I, that I fished that showcased some of those concepts that weren't crazy advanced, but that, you know, that a beginner could tie, but also they, they had to catch fish. I mean, mm-hmm. like I knew there had to be one articulated streamer. I'm like, there has to be one. There's got to be some other bait fish though. So I had to really search to find like an articulated streamer that was really different from another bait fish imitation. So I could have at least two completely unique streamers. And, and I also said to myself, I don't want flies that can just be found anywhere. Like I I didn't want to just put something like a patch rubber legs. I mean, it's an easy fly to tie. It catches a heck of a lot of fish. I love the pattern. I use it quite a bit, but just rubber legs and chenille. And I thought, I don't want that fly in here. But then I know somebody's going to call me out and say, but you put a mop fly in there. And I did because mop flies are flies that, I mean, that's like today's woolly bugger. I don't care who you are. I I, I know like so many people, that's the, like, that's the first fly kids learn to tie now in so many tying classes. I know there's probably some traditionalists out there that are cringing. Like, no, what about the woolly bugger? Or what about the San Juan worm? Like, no, like today's the fly that that people tie. Their first fly is the mop fly because it's a simple tie mm-hmm. and fish will eat it and they'll hold on to it. So yep. you want to, you want people to tie something they're going to have success with. And I went back and forth and I'm like, and, and Mark, now, no, you've been in this for 40, 40 years. You could understand like my, my hesitation when I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to write a book on fly tying and I'm going to use super glue on a dry fly. And I'm going to have a mop fly in my book. I'm like, I can't <laughs> believe this. Like, like I could just like see some of the, my mentors just like rolling in their graves now, but that's, that's fly time today. And that's, well, think, that's the way it is. Tim, think 20 years ago, the materials you were using, how different your bench looks now, how, how different your tying board with all your, you know, materials looks. It's like, I yeah. mean, these things weren't invented. You didn't have UV this and UV that. And, no. you know, I always, I find it fascinating. Like I actually get a little, I'm not going to lie. I get a little overwhelmed when I go in a good fly shop because I'm like, sometimes I just don't know where to start. And so I have to, Mm -hmm. I find I have to get really specific now. What am I trying to achieve here? Otherwise I just go nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're right, Mark. There's, I'm with you a hundred percent. I mean, I remember the, the biggest frustration I had in fly tying early on was just hook selection because there were all these different hooks and they had all these different numbers and mm. it was just complicated trying to figure out all that stuff. And then I guess my other frustration was finding quality hackle. And now like you fast forward 30 years, we have like 10 times as many hooks, even though in reality, the majority of hooks are, you know, all coming out of like three companies and they're just being, you know, you know, called different, different models. But it does seem like we have so many more hooks and now we have like 800 styles of hackle. And I, it's just, so I, I can just, it's, it's almost tricky to understand people who are getting into fly time today, how overwhelming it must be, which is why mm-hmm. I think they're drawn to, to YouTube and to follow someone sure. on Instagram. And just because it's easy to say there's one person 
And I want to follow that one person because they're going to give me the insight that I need. And that, that which is my recommendation to the people who are getting into it. Like I'll say, I don't care if you follow me. I don't care if you follow Tim Flagler or whomever on YouTube, but just follow one or two people and just go through their videos, go back, you know, a couple of years and just watch the progression of their patterns and tie along with them and, and pick patterns that you think will work on the waters you fish, but don't get overwhelmed by it because if you start scrolling on Instagram and you follow, you know, even 500 different people, man, those 500 patterns are going to look completely different. And they're all based on so many different variables. Yeah. So kind of just reduce all that stuff, reduce your own stress and just stick to just a base, which is, I, which is why and I'll go back to Jay and I'll give you the selling point of my book. Jay was like, Tim, people are just, they're overwhelmed on social media. They see all these different patterns. And as I said before, a lot of them are unvetted. Like this, there's many tires that I know who are exceptional tires that don't even know how to cast a fly line. And you wouldn't know that if you looked on their Instagram, but that's the truth of it. So you have to ask yourself, are these flies going to catch fish or are they just pretty flies? I or think maybe it's a little bit of both. I love you know? that question because I know I'm guilty of it sometimes. I'll come up with an idea in my head and I'll post it on my Instagram. doesn't necessarily mean anybody's ever fished it. It may not do mm-hmm what you hope it's going to do. But it seems to me like when you sorted out these baker's dozen, as you called it, um, you used flies that not only were effective, that you know will work, that are maybe, you know, it sounds to me like you're kind of trying to hit a little bit of everything, you know, with the mop fly and and the Pertagon. Um, there's lots of different kind of genres coming together there. Yeah, that, that that's what it came down to where I felt like, if someone didn't want to be so overwhelmed, they'd be able to pick up this book and say, oh, if you concentrate on these 13 flies, like, you're going to catch fish on them. Like, I promise you. I don't care where you are, Wyoming, Montana, Iceland, that, you're going to catch fish on them, Like, period. So don't, don't just scroll on Instagram and say, oh, that purple one looks really pretty. Let me try tying that one. Like, just try to reduce all that because, man. But, but, but then also, Mark, I know you're the same as me, I bet when we go into those fly shops, it's like you're a kid in a candy store. Like I want to buy every new material. And if I buy a new material, I don't buy like one pack of dubbing. I want every color of that new. I need it all. Like, <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to need it. Like when am I going to, one day I might need that copper red color of the fine diamond dubbing. Like I, yeah. why didn't I buy copper red? Like, so I get it. Like I understand, like there's also that desire to just kind of try to try to pull everything in and see how it's going to work for you. But, Man, it, it's such a steep learning curve in fly time. So I really hope people just have a way to kind of turn a few things off and just concentrate on two or three things at a time. Where's the best place to find your book? So, I mean, I assume it's available, obviously, through your website. But um, throw it out there. Where's the best place to find uh, fly time for everyone? Yeah, I mean, if, if you want an autographed edition, troutandfeather.com is the place. Um, I ship around the world to anybody. So that, that's easily number one. But you know, you want it convenient, go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target. I mean, it's out there. I won't lie, my publisher Stackpole. I mean, they're one of the best in the business. They didn't tell me when my book was going to show up on any of those websites. And like Mark, literally one day I wake up, I go onto Amazon to buy something, and I just typed in fly tying, and and it like you know how it just continues the search and just adds mm-hmm. different words, yeah. and it it goes for everyone. I'm like. This is weird. It's my book title. And I clicked and like a picture of me and my book came up and I was like, Oh my God. That's cool. Like, and I, and I'll be honest, that was the first day, like the whole process. I kept thinking one day, like Jay was going to say, you know what, Tim, 
I'm just joking. You're not really writing a book. I was just screwing with you the whole time. And it was like the day I saw my picture on Amazon, that was like the day that I was like, Oh my God, I think this is, this is really going to happen. Like <laughs> not out yet. This is the pre-release, but I'm like, Oh, and I also texted them like, why didn't they tell me? I don't, they didn't even know. They didn't even tell me it was going to be ready to go. And it was, it was just wild. So yeah. yeah, there's lots of different places to find it. It's funny how our psyches work with, your definition of made it or it's like if it's on amazon man it's real it's real <laughs> yeah i love it I, I can relate to what you're saying um that's good so one thing i'm curious about because i know you love doing your youtube videos and you're so you're so upbeat in all of them and i find them very addictive to be quite honest because as, as i'm alluded to you're always a glass half full you're very positive you're coming at things um in a very exuberant manner which i find sometimes in the past let's face it that's been missing a little bit i think on the fly fishing scene like you talked about you know originally going into a room where you smell cigars and a bunch of i think you said experienced <laughs> experienced gentlemen <laughs> a nice way to say old but um yeah. it's it's to have that um enthusiasm for me all of a sudden it's a cool place to be and i think that has really when you look at how fly fishing has changed what what would you say the biggest difference since you started, you know, from back in the day to now is? Wow. Um, are we looking at it from a positive, from a negative, or well, just I, different? I, neither. I'm just saying, it, for me, it's different now. Like, I just noticed that there's a lot of people in this space that may be new to it. There's a lot of um, the outdoor crowd that, um, whether they're yeah. climbing, the, the guide crowd is, is, I think, different than it used to be. Um, I could be wrong on that, but that's just my interpretation. I just remember back in the day, it was, you know, it was a little bit more reserved and, and now it just seems like it's really opened up. There's lots of women getting into fly fishing. Kids are getting into it. There's a younger generation that, you know, like you say, it was a lot of older, older people, I think in the past that has definitely yeah. changed. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you're right. And I guess the way that I'll kind of structure this, this part of the conversation, Mark, when I was a child, and maybe these books are still out there, I remember reading these choose-your-own-adventure books where you would read up to a certain page, and then something was going to happen. And if you wanted to go through like the left door, you would turn to page 25. But if you wanted to go through the right door, you would turn to page 36. And you got to kind of choose the way the book went. And thinking about fly fishing today compared to, like, at least in my experience, 30 years ago or 35 years ago, the choose-your-own-adventure really is out there i mean it, it's not just about the travel aspect but the traveling has opened up so much and let's let, we'll kind of ignore the notion of covid but just right before covid you could travel to so many different places in the world to fly fish if you look at it from the choose your adventure you can kind of do a, a diy in your you know your local waterway for for carp for trout for bass for stripers for whatever for a very inexpensive price because just to get a, a, an outfit and fly fishing right now is really cheap so you can go like the diy route whenever i think about all the niche pieces of fly fishing i mean you can think about i talked about just being euro euro specific or that competitive person there are rods out there made just for articulated streamers mm. i mean there's trout spay rods there's spay rods i mean there are just so many different options in fly fishing today that choose your own adventure, choose your own, whatever you want to do in fly fishing. To me, that is just, that's, I, it, I think it's awesome. Like, I think it's so cool that we have all these different opportunities because each one is an opportunity. And 
there are very few fly fishers out there who I think are, you know, masters in all of them because there's, there's so many right now. I mean, I know one of your former guests, Phil Raleigh, he's one of those people because he's kind of done it all. Like he's a master of Stillwater, but people forget, like he's a crazy Euro nympho. Like he can mm-hmm. throw a dry fly unlike other people, but all of us kind of get, we just kind of forced down into this niche. So like for instance, I'm known as a fly tire. Mark, if you talk to any one of my friends, if you would have told them I was going to write a book, not one of them would have ever said it would have been on fly tying. Like I'm a much better fly fisher than, I'm a, than I am a fly tire. So they, they almost laugh whenever they're like, I can't believe you have a book. Like, but that's the niche I've been forced down yeah. because of my YouTube video. So I'm known in that realm. That's, that's my niche that I'll be known for, which I, you just have to embrace. That's it. Now, I guess the one area that I'll say has changed most that I, I don't like as much, and it's going to relate back to this. The world of social media is, I think it's awesome. I think you can learn so much from it. Uh, I think you can just, it kind of opens your eyes to the opportunities out there. It's such an awesome way to connect with others. So you have those three things that are just awesome about social media. It's just great. I love it. The downside is, man, people get so mad if you're in your own lane and you're not in their lane. And I'll give you an example. I posted a, a Euronymph TikTok. It was just this funny TikTok about me basically saying, why do I Euronymph? Because I'm going to catch more fish than you. And it was just, and I did it in a kind of a clever way. It was kind of a cheeky style video. And I posted it on Facebook. And I also posted it on TikTok. It was embraced and it was like cheered on TikTok. The only like negative comment, if you want to say, it was somebody who said, man, like, are you sure you would outfish Kelly Gallup this way? And I took a screenshot because I know Kelly and I said it to Kelly. I'm like, man, this guy has no ideas. I would run circles around you. Like, so we got a laugh out of that. <laughs> I posted to Instagram. I put on the same video on Instagram. It was, you know, widely like embraced on Instagram. Then I post the same video on Facebook and Mark, you have no idea how much hate came out. I mean, it was like, huh. I can't even, I, I like filthy comments. And I was like, people, we're all on the fly. Like we're all, we all love fly fishing. This is not a fly fishing group. And there's people who like, they did not see the sarcasm in it at all. They didn't, see, they looked at it as I was personally attacking them right. and I'm in fly fishing for the wrong reasons. And I was like, Oh man, like yeah. take a step back. Like mm-hmm. we're in this, like we're all in this together. Like it shouldn't even be about fly fishers and you know, spin fishers. Like we all just love to be in the outdoors, catching fish and having fun. Like yeah. that's what this is supposed to be about. So I look at social media as, man, there's so many positives that come out of it, but it still gives people that opportunity to say, well, you're not in my lane. Like you mm. must be in the wrong lane. You need to get over here. And that's the, that's the one area of fly fishing that, that I hope improves with time. Well, I, I used to laugh because um, back in the day, there's a certain group would be like, well, you use an indicator. Like, yeah. I'll, if I catch fish, I'll use an indicator. Sometimes I throw a dry yeah. fly. You know what I mean? Like, I, you have to have groups within groups within groups. Then you got the, you know, the spay casters and you got the, I just like, whatever, man, whatever catches fish. I don't really care, but no. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, to me, this is just all fun. And, and whenever I see these comments, I'd love to say that they bother me. They don't. There's this really great button. It's called the delete button. Anytime, if there's any negative comment on, on a YouTube video, I delete it. I don't reply to them. I mean, there's no, I don't have time to reply no. to these people. I, I, I just always, the only wonder I ever have is like, if this video bothered you that much, why did you take a, take a time to comment on it? Why would you unfollow me? Or did you know, I'm like, I, I always just get, that's the only thing I wonder about. Like, man, you got so upset. Like you took five minutes out of your life to send a comment to me about this, yeah. that I'm going to delete and laugh about. Like, I don't even know who you are, but I, I so I, I, I always wonder like what, what motivates what, people yeah. to, 
What's... To, you know, to say, why aren't you in my lane? Like, why are, why aren't you choosing my adventure too? Like, yeah. it's like, man, man, let people do whatever they want to do. It's, this is fly fishing. It's fly tying. It's, well, I think you want to tie your fly and do whatever. That's that's fine. If you're not if you're not making somebody mad, you're probably not getting a lot of downloads. And I guarantee you, you're making some people mad out there. <laughs> oh, Stay I'm in your sure. lane. I, I like it. I like oh, it. I love it. I mean, I like Mark. Whenever I post videos, and people will message me and like, "How could you tell people about that fly?" That's my favorite fly, uh, and I'm like, "Oh, buddy, trust me. You're going to get another fly in a couple of years. It's yeah. going to be just as good." Like. And I think that's the, that's the information piece that that really drives a lot of us who help others. Like if if you're not up for sharing and, and helping others get better, you probably shouldn't be posting on social media because that's that's the the name of the game. I mean, if you think back a hundred years ago, if all of those those individuals would have held on to their information, or even fifty years ago, or yeah. thirty years ago, like man, it would have stalled things out. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I give credit to a lot of a lot of people, especially people like George Daniel. I mean, George went out and wrote this book on on nymphing yeah. that completely just opened up so much, especially for us in the United States that it, he kind of led by example to say, I have all this knowledge. And I'm going to share it with anyone yeah. who wants it. And when he wrote that book, I felt like that to me, that was the moment that fly fishing and fly tying really changed. I, I don't know if he realizes the impact he had, but that book really shifted a lot of things by just giving so much information and, and welcoming so many more people into the sport. He, you know, there's so many, people out of Pennsylvania that have done that. And I had George on the show and he's just an amazing wealth of information. But you look at, I think he's, isn't he not teaching fly fishing at Penn state? I think yeah, he took over the Penn state. Cl- yeah. We've had a lot of great teachers at that fly fishing class, yeah. the whole way back to George Harvey, Joe Humphreys, Greg Hoover. Right, right. And now, you know, George took over the class and, and man, good for him. Cause that's a, just talk about a way to give back. Seems to me there's a lot of good educators coming out of that state. so i want you to put your artist hat on for me for a sec tim um paint your perfect picture so the best day possible in your mind maybe you've had it on you know your local uh watering hole or wherever you choose to fish like your favorite stretch paint us a picture what are you fishing for what species are you chasing are you throwing streamers you throwing dries um, is there something, you know, like warm cup of coffee oh, in the hand in the morning? Walk us through that day. Paint us a picture. All right, I will. Uh, so first of all, for all the listeners out there, I want you all to know that Mark is very organized. Mark sends out a nice list of, hey, hey here's some of the questions just to get <laughs> used to the format, just in case, his, you know, the, the guests don't listen to the show, which I do. I uh, The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is such a great one. You're the one. I do. Yeah, no, I listen. And so he sends this question and I'm like, man, I really hope he forgets to ask this question because this is a tough one, Mark. It, I mean, at first I wrote down and I have like, you could, I have ideas that were like crossed off. I was like, oh, I want to talk about how there's so many saltwater species that I have not had a chance to chase yet. I have not caught a tarpon or landed a tarpon on the fly yet. Like that's, I can't wait to do it. And then I'm like, oh man, there's something about like getting into an epic hatch and you just catch fish all day long. Like that's what I want. And I don't know. I just got back from Iceland and I caught this, this brown trout. It's just like, it, it was the fish of my trip. It was probably the fish of my last five years. And I, I it was just so incredible. There's something about it that just mm. made everything. But I guess every situation, the one thing that I kept thinking about, there was always a challenge where there was, there was like a puzzle and I had to figure it out. And I think I, I'm not going to give you a specific mark. You're going to hate me for this, but 
what really motivates me the, the most, and, and it drives me crazy, but it also motivates me. There's nothing worse. I shouldn't say it like this. There's, there's many waterways that I can go to like tomorrow and I can urinate or I can fish a dry dropper and I can get a lot of fish in a pretty short amount of time. And it's fun and they can be wild fish. They can be stock fish and it's great, but there's something about going to a stretch of water and you have this one expectation and it's not, it doesn't kind of come through. And I guess, let me tell the story about Iceland, if that's okay. Yeah. So my buddy, Rob Giannino and I, we host um, a fly fishing trip to Iceland every year. We, we tend to go into the highlands and we also have an opportunity to fish on the lakes. We fish mainly for Arctic char, just a bucketless fish and brown trout. So when we're fishing in the highlands, it tends to be more Arctic char. So I went there this year in my mind saying the wind was terrible two years ago. The wind's going to be better. We're going to catch a lot of Arctic char. They're going to be these big, healthy fish. Uh, we're going to get a bunch on dry flies. It's going to be phenomenal. Kind of the opposite of you know, two years ago where it was mainly nymphing, a lot of emerger fishing. The fish were tough, but you know, we got them. So we get there. We, we get to the highlands, and the wind is back. I'm fishing two nymphs. It seemed like every five casts, my flies were just all tangled up. We're untangling them. Uh, the guy that was with us, he had asked to be with us because he knew us. And I, I could just imagine him thinking, how did I like pick these two clowns to fish with? They don't even know what they're doing. I mean, it was just, it was a tough day. And we just went from spot to spot. And we just had like just difficult situation to difficult situation. We hadn't caught a lot of fish. And we get to this one spot. And I look at my guide. His name's Biscuit. And Biscuit's like, Tim, I think you've been talking about the streamer that you have. I think this might be the spot for your streamer. And I'm like, what are you thinking? So we, he and I are like, we're picking apart this spot. We're on this, this micro Canyon. We're on this super high rock wall. We're looking down to the water. I pull out this articulated streamer. It's the streamer I tie in my book. It's like one of my go-to streamers. And I, I, I think about the situation. I, for some reason, I, I had been there like a year, couple of years before in a, in a similar spot. And I hadn't checked the connection between the fly and I hooked this giant Arctic char and the back of my fly came off and we could see the Arctic char with the fly in its mouth. And it was just so frustrating. So here I am in this kind of like a similar situation. I checked my fly, I checked my leader, I checked my knot. Like I go through the steps. I'm, I'm looking down. I'm like, I don't have a back cast. How am I going to make this cast? So I figure out how I'm going to make the cast. I go to make the cast. And I'm like, well, I can't make this cast. Like the fly's not even wet yet. I got to, you know, I, I'm standing like 10 feet off the watermark. So I, I say to myself, I have to make a cast way upstream where we came from to get the fly wet, try to get it to sink, then get it back in my hand and then kind of reset and make a cast to this little cliff across from me. So I do all that. And, and it just felt like every step I did was like a challenge just to do that next step because the wind was so bad. And then I, you know, I get my fly back. I'm ready to go. I, I test it one more time. I cast it out. I'm expecting the fish to come from the left to right, if there's even a fish there, which we just, it, we were kind of just kind of spitballing at this, at this instance. It turns out there was a fish like right under the wall where I was. It charged 10 feet across the water, hammered the fly. I like just something kicks in. I'm like, don't shout set. I did the strip set. Like everything just, I felt like all of my training up to this point just kicked in. It just was like, hmm. it was extremely challenging. I think, the majority of people, I don't know if they would have been able to get to even that point. I, I hooked the fish. This fish is going nuts. My guide's yelling. Like, I, I knew it was a re the real deal because guides, they get into it. But I, I've been a guide. Like, I, you know when you're getting into it. You know when something really big is going on. I could tell, like, he was excited. I'm, 
I start to get excited. I'm leaning over this wall. My buddy's holding onto my backpack because he's afraid I'm going to fall in the water and he's going to have to tell my wife that I drowned fighting a brown trout. So like, we're, it, it, it's just, everything's going on. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, I got the fish. I got to keep this fish upstream for me. So I'm fighting the fish and the fish is fighting me, but it's also fighting the current. So we get everything kind of worked out. The, the guide eventually decides he's going to billy goat it down. He does. He's holding onto the, the cliff with one hand, yelling at me like, don't keep, get the fish near me. I'm not ready to net. And I'm like, hey, the fish is coming one way or another. You better get ready. And it swam. He, he netted it. We got this fish. And I looked at my buddy, Rob. We're just screaming. And I'm like, I'm going down too. I'm going to tear my waders, but I'm going down. So I climbed down this wall. We got some pictures. Uh, it'll be the picture that, you know, used for this, for this podcast. I mean, that fish, like that was, that's the situation that I want, like a challenging situation where yeah. you yeah. think everything's going to go one way and it doesn't, but you make the most of it and you kind of let everything you've learned from the past kind of kick in and say, I'm ready for this, but mm. let's, let's put it forth. Let's demonstrate that. That's beautifully laid out. And I'm looking forward to seeing that pick. Now I love it when there's a picture that tells a story and uh, you laid that one out perfectly. You got hmm. it. But Mark, let me say this though. This will, I don't want to, I'm trying to think of a, a way to, to, to come across the tricky part of social media. And I'll go back to that. I'll send you this picture. People have probably seen it who are listening, but a lot of people, all they see is that fish. And they're like, ah, Tim got this fish in Iceland. Like if, if I go to Iceland, I'm going to get that fish too. And it's like, man, like these, I hope people do understand. Like there's a lot of fish out there that you can catch. They're nice fish. They're beautiful fish. But to catch that, like that fish of a lifetime, like you got to be ready for it. Like you really have to be ready for it. And that's why that fish was so, so special to me. Like if I wasn't ready to even strip set, if I would have trout set, I probably would have lost that fish right there. Mm. Like if I hadn't checked the connection between those two flies, that, that fish would have torn it apart. I mean, we have video of this fish fighting. Like it's almost scary to watch the, like you watch the video back and you think the fly is going to come apart in its mouth. Like, I mean, it's just, it was that vicious of a fight. So I hope people also understand sometimes when you see a picture, like, man, there is so much more to that story than just somebody holding up a big fish saying, Oh, look at my, my hero shot here. Like that, it, it, that was a fish that I was really proud to catch. You know, what's interesting to me is expectations. Like when you can set aside your expectations, it's almost like you can't have a bad day. But when you have, we go in any of these trips that we go on, I know I'm guilty of it all the time. I got these oh, yeah. expectations. This is going to be, you know, these are, these, these are going to be hatching and, 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 and the trout are going to be, you know, eating everything. And usually it doesn't turn out that way. But when you go in kind of like not expecting a lot, that's when I find some of those memorable trips happen is because you really didn't have any expectations. Yeah. Mark, you, you're really great on that. Yeah. You, you definitely have some, some experience in this. When, when we host these trips to Iceland, we like to kind of sit down with everybody ahead of time and say like, here's what we're looking forward to. What are you looking forward to? And most people go into it with that realism to say like, maybe I want to catch, I want to catch an Arctic char. Like they just want to hold that fish, look at it upside down, look at that like vibrant orange underbelly and just like, they want to catch that fish. Like that's what they want. And you know, I'm kind of guilty too, where I go in and I'm like, well, last time I was nice and I ate these blueberries. And I remember eating, picking them after a day of fishing, like looking at the water, just kind of soaking it all in. Like, I just want to like transport back to that moment. Mm. But then I always follow it up with, and I really want to catch a 30 pound brown trout this trip. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> man, like, why are you setting yourself up? And you know, like this year, the, the 30 pound brown trout didn't come. And I was, the, I was the last one to leave the water. Like we were fishing this lake that's known to produce you know, 30 and above brown trout. Those 
major brown trout. And I didn't want to leave because I was like, just like you, Mark, it's like, man, like I didn't, I, I didn't meet my goal of catching that one brown trout. Like yeah. I'm going to fish till dark. And, and it stinks because you, like you can't judge your trip on that one. You didn't catch that one fish. Like that's not what these trips are about. I don't care if you're going to the stream next door or, you know, halfway around the world. Like, yeah, you're right. Don't set yourself up for that. Have you had anything crazy happen to you in your time on the water? Like whether it's a weird wildlife encounter or, you know, <laughs> you won't believe this, but this actually happened. Cause you strike me as a guy that spent a lot of time out there on the H2O. Um, yeah. Oh, anything man. come to um, mind? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There's always something out there. I mean, so many different wildlife, like, like a moose or stuff like that. Like it's just scared the crap out of me. The, the one story that, that I think was really like, I was um, dry fly fishing on a stream called the little juniata in central Pennsylvania. It's just a really classy stream. It's got some spring influence. It's got some limestone influence. It's just got a lot of stuff for it. Some beautiful wild brown trout. And I'm in this really just perfect spot right before dusk. I have a great sulfur hatch going on. There's these trees that overhang the water. I'm just outside of the leaves of these trees fishing towards like the center seam. Cause I have some real nice fish set up there. And I'm fishing and I'm doing decent. And, you know, it's not the easiest fishing, but I'm, I'm spotting risers. I'm able to catch most that I spot. And all of a sudden I hear something behind me. I hear like a fish behind me. And I turn and I see a dimple on the water under those trees. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I'm just like, just kind of, you know, make a mental, mental note. Turn around, catch another fish. Five minutes later, I hear that sound behind me. Look, there it is again. Like, oh, that fish rose again. I'm like, oh, this, I have a fish down here. There must be like, an occasional adult mayfly just floating down. This fish is just picking it off. Maybe it's an emerger. Maybe it's a crippled. I don't know, but there's a fish back here. Just Let's give it one more shot. So I, I keep fishing. And then about a couple minutes later, I hear that again. I'm like, perfect. Mark, I don't hesitate. I just like do a complete 180, lay out this beautiful cast under these, these overhanging leaves. And these things we're talking like three and a half feet from the water. So it's just, you have a narrow little path. I, I lay out this great cast. The moment my fly touches down, I realized it wasn't a fish that had been eating. A bat had been sitting three feet off the water in those, those branches. Immediately just flies straight down, eats my fly, and it goes off. I'm fighting a bat in the air. I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? Like At first, I'm, la- I'm like you. I'm like laughing. I'm like, this is really cool. And then I start to think, I got a bat on the end of my line. Like I don't want to touch this thing. Like How am I supposed to get this off? So I fight this bat. The bat, I eventually get it. In, if you want to call it that and i'm trying to break the tip it off but my tip it's not breaking i'm like i need to get this thing off i didn't want to cut off my entire leader because i'm in the middle of a hatch still and i'm like i don't want to cut my leader off i don't want to retie it's almost dark but i'm like i i want to get my fly back too like this is this flies really working and i'm thinking what the heck am i supposed to do so i had my fly the whole way at my guide and i'm like i have to drown this poor bat to get this fly out of here i don't drown it completely but enough that it's kind it's still moving it's it's alive but I can tell it's kind of like, it's kind of out, you know, out of the game for a little bit. So I'm at least able to get my fly out, get the bat back to the, the shore. Obviously, eventually like resuscitate it somehow. I wasn't giving this thing mouth to mouth. It eventually moved on and I was able to dry off my fly and keep fishing for these brown trout. Wow. That, you know, I, I could see that it, happening though. I could see why though. I mean, you're, you're basically trying to imitate something that, and, and bats, they just zone in on the, the shape, and I can see them picking that yeah. off. That's that's quite a story. Oh, yeah. You know, what are you going to do? Sometimes you hook things that I've heard of people hooking turtles and all kinds of different things, but yeah. never a bat. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, 
that that story has just kind of it sat with me. I mean, it was probably 15, 20 years ago. I was younger at the time, but and I, I'll be honest, I don't know what I would do today if that happened. I mean, I'm looking back and I'm thinking, man, I probably should have cut my leader. But then he went a bat flying around with a nine foot leader hanging out of its mouth and a fly attached to it. I, I don't know. The whole, the whole thing was just, I, it was, it was very bothersome. I want to make that clear to your listeners. This, the whole thing for me was very bothersome. And if anyone out there has an idea of how I should have handled it differently, please, Find my, you know, go to trotmanfeather.com, send me a message because I'll take any ideas. I hope this never happens again, but man, I'll take any ideas you have in the future. Yeah, it's quite a story. You, you are sitting on a lot of them over there. Well, <laughs> I think we covered a lot of ground. Is there anything that um, you got coming up maybe you want to talk about? Obviously, the new book is out, um, Fly Tying for Everyone. They can find that at uh, Trout and Feather. Get an autographed copy from Tim himself. I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, it'll be on Amazon. Uh, check out your YouTube videos. Um, what do you What do you got coming on? You still doing a lot of um, blogging as well, or um, do you do that yeah, on well, your Mark, I would trout say and feather? Probably the, the the two or three big things that I have coming up. I um I tend to record a lot of my videos in the summertime, then I release them throughout the year. Hmm. So in this, I've really started to shift my my YouTube videos where they're not just fly fishing or fly tying. They're also fly fishing. I've recorded a few more on the water, so I've been able to do that a little bit more. So uh, the direction of my YouTube videos is starting to shift as well. Um, I, I pretty much release a new video every week. One week will be a long, a long format video, 15 to 20 minutes at most, sometimes 10 minutes. I think today I just released one that was around seven minutes. And then every other week I release a video that's like a, a short video, like one of those TikTok. It's more of a sarcasm style video. My YouTube audience that's been with me for a while, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have an audience of around 25,000. Whenever I post one of the long formats, like, they love it. They, those are the videos they love. Then I post one of these like sarcastic TikToks, and my, my audience is like, what is this, Tim? But you can tell like they're really <laughs> they're having trouble with this. But I'm like, I, I want to say to them, like, listen, this is the direction it's going. I, this is what I enjoy doing. So you know, I'm trying to gently move my audience in that direction as well. So I have that going on. Uh, I'm, I'm part of the International Fly Tying Symposium in November. It's going to be you know, the first major fly tying show that's going on. Um, we'll see how everything rolls out. It's in New Jersey, so I'm excited to be a part of that, and I hope you know, many of your listeners will be over there. And then I participate in the fly fishing show. The shows that I, I tend to do are the larger shows this year, so I'll be in Edison, New Jersey, and Denver, Colorado. So I'll be tying at those shows. I'll um, be a presenter at those shows. Uh, you know, I'll be at the tying booth. I'll be all over. I mean, it's really fun to kind of participate and, and to be in that realm. And then there's a lot of, you know, local fly fishing clubs around the country that will book me. And the one, one of the positives that's come out of the pandemic is the use of Zoom. In, in the past, knowing that I'm a teacher, I, I can't take off a, a Wednesday to drive to Michigan and to give a presentation for their local TU. So that's just never been, you know, it's been tough. I've had to just turn down a lot of opportunities over the last five or six years with, with Zoom. I'm a teacher. This is my day job. Like I'm, I know Zoom in and out. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. I was one of the presenters that I've been able to adapt pretty quick. And I'm pretty much booked almost every week up until December, giving a, a Zoom presentation around the country. I kind of take off the month of December, then January through May. Um, I, my schedule is pretty booked for this year. But for anyone who's listening, if you're part of a truck club, uh, or TU or something along those, those realms, and you're ever looking for a guest speaker, you know, please keep me in mind. 
a page of my website dedicated to that. And um, man, it's just so much fun getting back to these groups and, and kind of fine tuning the presentation to, to something they're looking for. Well, we love what you're up to, Tim. Um, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, keep on keeping on there with your YouTube videos and uh, Instagram, Trout and Feather. And uh, encourage everyone to uh, pick up a copy of uh, Fly Tying for Everyone. Thanks so much for doing this. All right, Mark. Thanks. I appreciate it. It was great learning about you, your, your days of being a country DJ, too. That's really cool. So I'm glad <laughs> I was able to get that information out of you. Yeah, we're, we're going deep. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> you got it. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.